0: Oh, it's a
1: glorious Monday, but could you to get to listen to Jay and I guess a little bit of Keith. And we're talking basketball. We're talking Wax Sun or A-Sun Wax. Whack. It's Wax Sun. Whatever it's called, it is. I saw what you did there. And we're talking, I think that's it. That's all we're going to do. I do have a, I do have something lined up for the folks on Wednesday because we have been blown up on the old Twitter machine about By we, you mean you. Fair. People don't know you yet. That's okay. We're trying to get that known so they can come <laughs> at you, because you're an FCS lover like myself. So they're coming at the FCS lovers on how in the world the Wax Sun or a Sun Wax or whatever it's going to be called and it's got to have a new name. How are they going to try to go FBS? How's that going to work? There's a lot of hurdles to do. This isn't just a hey, we're going to go FBS and it's going to happen. There's a lot of things that got to go. So we have reached out to our good friend John the Baptist. John Roberts is his real name, but when he worked uh, here at ETSU, we always called him John the Baptist. He worked for the A-Sun for over a decade. He was uh, very much entrenched in starting the FCS football. Now, currently not with the A-Sun, but is willing to kind of walk us through how all that worked and the thought process behind FBS and to tell me why it would work. And so I'm going to – me and Keith will be talking to him. And then we're going to do a special Inside the Dome in which you guys want to hear from Dr. Sander and why ETSU wouldn't be doing that as well and what are the challenges and things of that nature. So we will talk to Dr. Sander. So you ask, we deliver.
0: SCS, things of that nature. Crab Rangoons, things of that nature. I love me some Rangoons. I could go for some Rangoons right now. Can we do Chinese for lunch?
1: Yes, yes, actually, we can because I actually have to leave campus to take something back for Christmas that – uh-oh. I bought was wrong. And uh, luckily, I'm at the point in my relationship with my wife on certain things. I can say, hey, you did need that, right? And I got the no. I bought that a while ago. And I'm like, oh, yeah. So I pay attention. Mm-hmm. Also, my wife reminded me, uh, listen to last pod, uh, and reminded me that I said something about you and friends. And then she asked me how many friends I had. And then uh, it was way less than yours. So she told me I need to start playing Dungeons <laughs> Dragon. Dragons. So I just want to get that. And we're not going to talk about it, Keith. I'm just going to. I've said it.
0: That's I'll, I'll say, round up the group. About. I'll round up the group. We we can we can have some overlap with our fantasy football uh, league, but not a lot because, like I've said, play D D with your friends and I mean, fantasy I, sports with your enemies. I have trouble playing like Clue, so I don't even know how I'm going to keep up with like D and D. Which Clue, by the way,
1: spectacular. We got Clue Junior. Oh, it's really good.
0: So Clue Junior is about your. It's it, that's about age appropriate for you. Yeah,
1: I, I think there's no doubt. You have to have not a lot of rules. Mm-hmm. It can't be complicated. And the dice can only go up to four. So I think that helps.
0: The dice go up to twenty in D and D. So And there's additional modifiers that can raise it up to like forty depending on the particular power of a particular character or creature. Yes.
1: Oh my gosh. All right. Well, I did I did have a twenty sided die that me and Bruce Tramberger we played Stratomatic baseball. Which says oh like a okay, so, so you
0: are familiar with that. I am
1: familiar with a twenty sided uh, die. Uh, depending on the guy mm-hmm. steal, you know, if you got Ty Cobb, he's a triple A, so he's like you know one to nineteen. Yeah, and then if you've got uh, was a Yogi Bear, it was like one to three. So you know, if you've got not a lot of chance. You know, <laughs> I like to steal, I like to butt him over, I like to play I small like, ball. I like There that. we go.
0: I like that. All right, uh, what are we talking about? Oh yeah, basketball. You want to talk basketball? Well, let's talk basketball to start. Sure, why not? Should I hit a bumper? Uh, uh, no, let's just let's just go right into it. Let's just let's just naturally. Organically slide into hoops.
1: Okay. Let's, uh, we'll talk men's basketball. Then we'll jump into women's basketball. Both
0: teams, uh, slide over here. Tough days. Talk basketball.
1: Yes. I just, are you, I like when you sing.
0: No, you don't. That is the biggest lie you have ever told. And you told it to my face. No, 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 no. Actually, no, you didn't tell it to my face because you were facing the other way. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that was true, but that's not what I was talking about.
1: Um, (laughs) That was a very true statement. I like how you did that. Uh, okay, well, no, no, no. I, I like to make up my own songs and my family stare at me. And they're like, what are you singing? And well, the
0: difference is that you're singing we, real songs. I just don't know. We know you're making it up because you deliberately don't sing on key. That you make up. You, you Yes, sing, let's go with that. <laughs> you sing it in the key of L, or at least it sounds like L. Um, is that me taking a loss? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, you certainly know how to hold that L. Um, all right, Moorhead State and ETSU. Bucks led this game with 26 seconds left. Uh, we're up by nine in the second half and ultimately come out on the wrong end, 61-57. to 57. Jay, you were there. You witnessed this. Um, I, I, this is not the first time we have seen ETSU lead a game at halftime and come out on the wrong end of it uh, this season. And it's probably not going to be the last time that we see ETSU lead a game at halftime And come out on the wrong end of it this season. But uh, it stings to have the lead pretty much the whole second half until the final, what, 10 seconds, 12 seconds of the game. Um, And ultimately, you, you come out of a game that you really felt like you needed to have and a game like you felt like you should have won and played well enough to win for 39 minutes and 30 seconds, and you don't win it.
1: It's happened a couple times in my broadcasting career where ETSU has led twice. They've actually led the entire game until the last shot of the game. Oh. So this wasn't quite that heartbreaking as those. Now it's heartbreaking, but it wasn't quite. So this is the uh, it's the third time I could recall and I try to look up the games Last night, but just driving in the car, and then I got depressed, and I did just, you know, it's a four-hour ride from Moorhead State in which you see nothing. Uh, I mean, nothing. To so you get to Pikeville, Kentucky. We stopped, well, it was dark, too. Eight. It doesn't help. Yeah, Slim Chicken is a good place to eat, though if you're ever getting stuck yeah. in Pikeville,
0: did Kentucky. You, uh, did you hit up, was that, does that take you past the Buckies? Did you come down that route, or did you go? No, no, went we went
1: we, we went straight through like Gate City, Pound Wise, Virginia. Hit Kentucky, oh, okay, Pikeville. you went that way. Gotcha. Yeah, it, it was thirty minutes faster, um, and nothing. No civilization was there, but uh, we did some Pikeville, which does look mimic some sort of town. And the Slim mm. Chicken there was was great. It was very good, very good food. Uh, Amid Slim
0: Pickens, you, you you savor the Slim Chicken. Yeah,
1: yeah. We did more research well, as I was trying to do research on the games that I called in similar situations. We decided to do research on chicken, and it uh, panned out because it was uh, it didn't disappoint.
0: In what? the words of Leroy Jenkins, at least you have got chicken.
1: Forty-two games. And Desmond Oliver's coaching career, ETSU's led 27 of them at half. Now, last year, I think it's very fair to the depth issue, especially in the post, was difficult to overcome. And you could see that in almost every game towards the end of the year as opposed to the start of the year. And so ETSU get off to a little bit of a hot start, and then depth and team get worn down and guys playing out of position and yada yada. And I think it's um, it's very fair to point out. I don't think, um, uh, you know, Johnny excuse. I think that's very fair to look and assess and see what had happened there. This year, ETSU's had the lead in five games and were 4-1 and one at halftime. Yeah. And so they've been able to, with a little more depth, been able to close out games and pick up wins. So I was a little shocked that when ETSU got – uh, the help of, I, I don't know if we're going to call it a pass, a miss tip, but with 1.9 to go in the half, Justice Smith throws a football pass to the free throw line on the other end, and Jalen Haynes, I don't know if it was a deflection, a tip, a pass. I'm going to give him an assist because I'm an ETSU guy, but it got deflected over to DeAnthony Tipler right in front of, Preston Spradlin, who had to watch him knock down a three as the horn sounds on one of the most incredible kind of plays to happen in the half. And ETSU went up nine. So I felt pretty confident if ETSU could start the second half and not give up, you know, eight, ten runs, something like that. And they didn't. Sure. They, they did For not sure. give up that. Um, both times it. Morehead State was able to tie the game. ETSU was able to stretch it back out. And I mentioned it on the broadcast, though. They got it to to eight. They got it to nine one other time, but they couldn't get it to double figures. And I felt like if they got it to double figures, it was going to be ball game. But they never could quite get that. And then something I didn't see happen or or going to happen was ETSU that was hot shooting in the first half. And I didn't think they would continue maybe – the blistering pace uh, of the first half. What were they in the first
0: half? Do you know? So
1: they were 23 of uh, 50. Nope. Hold on. I got that for you. That was the whole game. <laughs> yep. I do. I do. I do. Give me one second. I got to click on a different screen. But they were 58% in the first half.
0: Whoa. Cool. 15
1: yeah. of 26. They were three of six from three. Mm-hmm. On, this, on the flip side, Morehead State was 9 of 25, 36%, 2 of 11 from 3. They were 7 of 7 from the line. That kind of helped them in the first half. In the second half, things got flipped. DTSU was 8 of 26, 31%, and 1 of 11 from 3. Oh. Only scored two points the last 4.48 of the game. Morehead State, who shot 36% in the first half, flipped and shot 59% in the second half, and they hit three threes, three of seven, and shot 43%, and they were just 5 of 11 at the line. Matter of fact, missed four straight free throws in some critical situations for them. So everything got kind of flipped to kind of even out. ETSU shot 44% for the game, 46% for 47 if you round up, for Moorhead State, both teams 24, 28%, and then free throws, uh, ETSU got out shot there, uh, 12 makes for Moorhead State, 7 of 13 for ETSU. But it was really in the second half, and with about the five-minute mark, and Coach Oliver said post-game that he kind of felt the meltdown happening. Now, he has some ESP that I don't – I did not feel that. Now, he knows his team better than I do. Yeah. And he's with those guys every single day. So, he said he kind of felt it coming on that where guys don't know how to win yet that it was happening. But ETSU led by six after uh, uh, Taylor was able, uh, I think, to slam one home. Uh, it wasn't that one. It was the next one. But uh, Josh Taylor, always oh, a tip-in. That's right. Jalen Haynes got the ball on the block. It was a nice move baseline. Ball kind of hung on the rim, popped off. Taylor on the backside came in, tapped it in. ETSU led by six with about five minutes to go, 4:59. And then ETSU didn't score again until the two. Where was that? The 2:21 the mark when Taylor. Uh, was able to get a dunk on a pass from Jalen Haynes. They got him from 55 to 57, and that was it. ETSU didn't score again. So it was effectively a 12-2 run to end the game for Moorhead State. Interesting play of the game. Jalen Haynes with nine seconds to go on the shot clock, and what was that, 50-minute, minute 16 they inbound, right? No, minute minute three. They inbound with a minute three. Jalen Haynes catches the inbounds pass from Jordan King. He's supposed to swing it left to Josh Taylor, who left that position, and Haynes throws a blistering pass off the referee. The referee's standing inbounds, so the ball's still in play. Okay. Haynes is yelling. I don't know if the referee or Taylor or somebody. Jordan King manages to go pick up the basketball, gets a shot off, horn sounds, technically, horn sounds shot off. It goes in. Me and Kevin Brown thought, ooh, I don't think he got off in time. Referees blow the whistle. They go back and check. Sure enough, he didn't. I thought ETSU was going to catch a massive break because the Moorhead State people, as you'd imagine, losing their minds. They were probably beside themselves. Because the referee – ball was kept in play by the referee. But the referee was standing inbounds. If the referee was out of bounds, that would have been out of bounds. But the referee is technically in play if he's in play. Mm -hmm. So it was a correct ruling by the referee to let it go. Jordan King was the only, it looked like, member of either team that realized the ball was still in play and the clock was ticking and did enough to get the ball from the other side of the floor because he was on the right side. That happened on the left side. He got the ball, got shot up. Correct call. It was a shot clock violation. Then on the other end, uh, uh, Jaden Seymour actually strips the ball off. uh, I think it was Jake Wolf driving to the hoop. We have to go review that. It was very difficult, but I do believe Seymour was the last guy to touch the ball, but I thought ETSU may catch a break there. Then we talked about ETSU who had been giving up offensive rebounds, got it rebounded by 10. That's probably the biggest shocker uh, if you ask me to, to give you a, a stat that I was baffled by. ETSU gave up three offensive chances. First was a miss. Second tap wasn't really great, and then Gross gets the rebound. He gets fouled. Three-point play with 16 seconds, first lead of the game for Morehead State. ETSU comes down, gets a a three from uh, DeAnthony Tipler. Uh, that missed offensive rebound didn't go ETSU's way. It, it was kind of a long carom, a run out layup, four point loss. That's
0: a nutshell. The last one oh three. You don't lose that game in the final seconds, though. I mean, I guess in the grand scheme, you don't. It it, it, it stings. It feels like you did. It feels like you lost it, but. You lost it from the fact that you didn't hit shots down the stretch. Five minutes, you had two points. That that's that, yes. that's where it comes into play. That's where, you know, you open the door for that to happen. And Jay, you and I have talked about this on the pod. We've talked about it off the pod. At some point, this team needs another reliable three point shooter. Jordan King has had coverages, defenses have changed how they guard him. He's now viewed as the primary perimeter option, and for good reason. And so he's not getting as many good shots or good looks as he's used to. And there are times where he ends up pulling up from way farther out than he needs to be taking shots because it's the only opportunity he's got to get up a three. DeAnthony Tipler is a pretty solid three-point shooter off the bench, uh, but it's but if he's the only guy on the floor, if King's on the bench and Tipler's on the floor, then it's kind of the same deal. So this team needs additional perimeter shooting, reliable perimeter shooting. Give it to me from somebody. I don't care who it is. I was hoping it would be Seymour that he would turn the corner. He would have some growth as a three-point shooter. It hasn't really materialized, and he's admittedly he's he's had uh, uh, some significant time missed with a concussion. So, um, and sometimes the, the timing on that stroke can take a little while to come in. But uh, he's played so many other areas of the game really, really smooth at a really high level. Josh Taylor is really good around the rim. I feel like on both ends of the floor, very good around the rim. And we have seen at times the three-point shot is something he's getting more comfortable with. Could that be your guy? Jalen Haynes will step into one every now and then just to try to invert the defense a little bit. Uh, There are guys out there that I think might be willing to take shots. I need to see those guys making more shots more frequently because I think if the rest of the team outside of Tipler and King doesn't go 0 for 4 from 3 or 0 for 3 from 3, you have a shot to win. You have a much better chance of winning and you win that game and you probably win the uh, win the Jacksonville State game. Although they didn't have Tipler for that game too, so maybe Tipler's in there. You win that game, but this team needs more than one, and one or one and a half or 1.95 reliable three-point shooters. And once you get guys that can space the floor and make the defense play a little more honest, you're going to open things back up for the most reliable and most consistent scorer on the team, which is Jalen Haynes in the paint. And that's where this team really takes the leap forward that we all feel like it's capable of, of doing, is get one more floor spacing shooter and I think the personnel is on the roster somewhere to do it but that personnel has to emerge
1: yes they need more shooters
0: more scoring I think
1: defensively we talked about during the broadcast several shot clock violations several times they had Mm Moorhead State taking horrific shots as the shot clock wound down I think Jeremy Gregory, who didn't play a few games ago but got in, was able to show kind of tough rebounding. I think the rebounding isn't the – now, it was this game because I got a rebound by 10, but the rebounding isn't the issue. Can Taylor continue to hit shots from the outside? Can Jaden Seymour, who apparently is a 40% shooter at practice, Mm -hmm. can't knock him down in the games yet? Is it just a matter of taking the top off? You can't just have – I think King and tippler's the only three-point shooters. Agreed. I, I think you have to have more that go. Now, I know Struthers, again, the problem is I think... Struthers could be that Str- guy too. Str- Struthers can hit a three, yes. Taylor can hit a three, yes. Seymour apparently can hit a three, just hadn't been able to do it yet in the game. And I've seen him shoot. I've seen him work on it. He can knock it down. He is physically able to knock it down. It is not without a realm of possibility that he figures it out. Jalen Haynes could hit a three. The problem is... Those are one-off guys, you know, and I know Taylor hit 3 for 4 one game, and I would like to see him take one or two a game. I would like to see Seymour take one or two a game because otherwise no one's respecting those guys, right? And Correct. then you just pack it in, and then who's going to suffer? Jalen Haynes. And people are starting to pack it in on Jalen Haynes. That's the problem. Right now it's not Jalen Haynes has gone away. People are doubling and tripling and doing things to try to not want you to throw the ball, A, inside him to start with, and then B, they're coming at him and crashing at him hard. Now, I think Haynes is smart enough because at Wofford, his main goal was to pass the ball back out. It wasn't to score immediately because that's how Wofford wants to play the game. You know, that's the problem when he was practicing earlier this year. He would get yelled at in practice because they were like, hey, Jalen, we give you the ball three feet away. We would like you to score. At Wofford, they maybe didn't want you to do that. Or, I'm sorry, Virginia Tech. He was at Virginia Tech. Mike Young yes, was at Wofford. Yes, Mike Young was at Wofford. Sorry. Yeah. But – Playing for Mike Young in that system, that fans remember at Wofford, and he had, we're in the same system Virginia Tech, they wanted Jalen Haynes to throw the ball back out. Mm-hmm. Now, Jalen Haynes has been able to improve his passing. We saw great kickouts for him that maybe didn't lead to an immediate shock, shot, but in hockey you'd get a double assist, right? They don't do that in basketball, but there's a couple times he would make a quick pass, one more pass, boom, bucket. And so he doesn't get credit for maybe starting that that you don't get, but his teammates recognize that. He's also very good at the top of the key, making entry passes in and or uh, swinging the basketball to kind of help the team and to help him get good post position. He also was great at finding cutters, which we saw with a couple of dunks on Jaden Seymour. We saw that with Josh Taylor. So I I think Jalen Haynes has improved tremendously as a passer and understanding what he's supposed to do. I think the shooters have to eventually knock down shots. 57 points. In a Division One men's basketball game is not enough, I think, to expect to win. Now, they should have still won the game. But in general, they're going to have to score more than
0: 57 points a majority of the games to win. And, and you look at the numbers that they're allowing, and I think you're right. 61 to Moorhead, 63 to Jacksonville State, 62 at Georgia. If this team is averaging 65 points a game on the nose and it's at 65 points every single game, they're three. They're seven and three. I mean that that's the offense has got to be there. And maybe maybe I'm phrasing this wrong because I think, like I said, the personnel is there. That personnel needs to emerge. I want to see Josh Taylor take more threes. I just I don't even necessarily need him to shoot it like forty percent from beyond the arc. I need somebody to to be another perimeter threat that the defense has to respect. And just somebody that's taking those shots at a at a thirty percent clip or a thirty three percent clip is enough to tip the scales. Um, Taylor took one three point field goal against Moorhead State. That's not enough. It was a contested one too, uh, and he had a couple chances. I think to to
1: maybe shoot a three and passed on it. He finished five for six. It was only miss, but I think he had a couple chances to to pull the trigger on threes. That I agree. I think he's. Given enough leash, that I think he should have a couple attempts, at least two to three attempts.
0: And, and when when I talked with Des before um, the Little Rock game, he kind of felt like, you know, Taylor was getting more comfortable. He's getting more comfortable in ETSU. He's getting more comfortable in the offense. He's getting into a position where they can stretch him out a little bit more and use him as a floor spacer. I think that's what they want to do. Um, I I want to see those shots start to go up. A little bit more because i mean the worst case scenario is taylor takes four threes a game he makes one and they still lose i mean i would still like to i mean you know the 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 outcome doesn't necessarily change but if you change that process and you start winning then defenses have to adapt to that. And suddenly it opens up maybe some opportunities for King or Tipler to get some better looks. It opens up opportunities that Haynes was getting early in the year to really carry the scoring load for this team in the paint. So maybe the focus is Taylor. Maybe that's the guy that needs to be the guy on the wing who can be the floor spacer. But there's somebody somewhere on this team has the ability to, To do that, and whoever it is, I want to see that player taking more shots. I want to because I think they have. I think a lot of these guys have the ability to make shots at a reasonable enough percentage that defenses will have to adjust to take them away, or try to take them away, or just do a little more to, or can't just do enough that they can't gang up on Haynes in the paint and and just you know double or triple team him. You do enough that defenses have to pick what they're going to try to take away. And if Taylor shoots it at 30 31%, that's fine. That, in my mind, is enough that you have to say, hey, we need to make sure we have somebody on this guy.
1: I think the perimeter is so huge for ETSU because, and I'm going to include Justice Smith, in this he had a great first half I thought they did a good job second half trying to find that mismatch that he was able to do in the second half but let me read you I think the three best perimeter scores and you tell me if you think this is incorrect would be Jordan King Anthony Tipler Justice Smith
0: perimeter scores.
1: And now perimeter
0: meaning a guy perimeter that plays means on the perimeter, slashing, attacking, right, yeah, type. all of it. Yes. I could a I could, yeah, if you if you include like driving to the rim yes, then yes, yes. I would say yes. justice, yeah.
1: A player on the perimeter that can score. Let me word it that way. Yes. I think those three. And in the first half, Jordan King's 4 of 6, Tipplers 1 of 3 hit the halftime shot right before the horn, and Justice Smith was 4 of 5. That's 9 of 14. In the second half, King is 1 of 6, Tipplers 1 of 8 and Justice Smith was 0 oh of 2 and I felt like they tried to give him a couple looks and it didn't go, and then I think Justice didn't try again. I, I think that's part of his, comp, his mental game that Coach Oliver says the only thing he's missing right now is the mental game and confidence in himself. So when he figures that out, and he's starting to because he was very aggressive early, and he scored more points in the first like four minutes on the floor than he has in any other game away from Freedom Hall because he had four. He only had two in any other game. But two of 16 from those guys – and you, have to, and, and you have to have something from the perimeter. And those are your three best perimeter guys. now. And,
0: and Smith is hurt by the fact that teams are trying to take Haynes away with more bodies down low. Because his game is about getting to the rim, so you end up getting into situations where charging fouls are going to be a lot more abundant. You're going to get into situations where it's just generally more difficult to get the shots that you're most effective at. When he put up 20 on Emery and Henry... Emery and Henry was playing ETSU straight up because they didn't know who the threats were or where the threats were because nobody did. And Smith was able to get to the rim with a plump. It was also a, yes, it was a Division II school that was transitioning up. But still, like, that was a situation where Smith was able to get his preferred looks and knock them down. And if you get that other floor spacer, it doesn't just open things up for Haynes. It opens things up for Struthers and Smith who like to attack the basket and it makes your whole offense run that much more smoothly. So uh,
1: only other thing I want to – a couple things I want to talk about because I think Jeremy Gregory in his like 10 minutes of action, I thought, played extremely hard. It would be nice to get Brock back going to get close. I think Tipler's – he looked better, but clearly I think ankle had a little bit to do with it. I think one of my favorite plays besides what we've talked about with Jalen Haynes recognizing and making good passes was Alan Strother in the first half, one of his only field goals. Maybe his only field goal knowing that their best player on the perimeter, Mark Freeman, had two fouls, went directly at him and was able to get a layup because Freeman had to back away. He didn't yep. want to get the third yep. foul. And knowing that and recognizing that, yep. and Struthers took a huge charge in which I thought Kevin Brown was going to throw his headset because it was a brief pause when a referee blew the whistle. He didn't immediately signal charge, and I, you know, I could – I, th- I thought I was going to see the headset throw from Kevin, but they did call the charge, <laughs> so it did hold out. Then he gave, I think, a boom on air, just a random boom, you know. And I was like, okay, here we go. We know how he out. How, how. No favoritism here on this broadcast from Kevin Brown. Anyways, that being that's what
0: radio is all about, baby. It's theater. So radio is theater.
1: I I think Allen is uh, for red shirt freshman continues to make great strides. Even though I, I think
0: I called him Anthony one time, <laughs> Kevin goes, "Who's Anthony?" I was, like, I don't know. Allen Struthers. Struthers, you know, Struthers is such a smart basketball player. Like I think. I think maybe sometimes, just because subtle things, man. Yeah, like I, I just you know, but maybe the the jumper needs a little bit of dialing in for him, and I. I and he I, admits I, that. Yeah, and I, I, what I, what I would love to see is him have the confidence to just rise and fire a couple times, and when he, when he gets that confidence, and and sometimes, especially as a young player, I know as a young person who was getting on the microphone for the first time as a young guy when I was an undergrad here. Uh, I, I would get in my own head a little bit and I would get in my own way a little bit. And I would say, I'm not ready for this. I'm not ready for that. I'm not ready for this. But well, you're never going to be ready for it if you don't start doing it and non-conference play is when you start doing that stuff. So, I, I would love to... It, it Once Struthers has the confidence to take the jumper with regularity, you're going to see a whole new player, a whole new level of player from that young man. He is going to be really, really good at ETSU running the point. I
1: had a... Buddy of mine on Twitter it was a direct message. It's not out there for the public, but hey, you you said the team's at full strength. We, we look a little different. Yes, team still wasn't at full strength. Still <laughs> so, no Jansic. Still no Brock Jansic. Bucks out rebounded by ten. I think he could have helped that too. I still contend that when the team is all together, because if you look at just a small comparison of scores, a all together team, ETSU versus Louisiana, right, four point loss had a shot there. Louisiana blasted Samford a full Stanford squad, blasted Stanford. So I feel good about ETSU. Now, I think offensively has to have some adjustments. We've talked about perimeter, but if the perimeter doesn't come, then it's going to be harder and harder for Jay Haynes to get his looks inside, and that's going to change the dynamic. For Jay Haynes to be successful, the outside perimeter has to happen. Guys have to hit. and I don't think they have to take 33s in a game, and I was actually pleased that ETSU – only like once this year has got the 33 point attempts where mm-hmm. last year it was plentiful because that's, they didn't have any inside game. You kind of had to do that. 17 threes attempted is great. I think that's perfect. You're getting almost 67, 70% of your shots inside the paint or inside the arc. And again, there's some mid range jumper game for some guys. We saw Jalen Haynes hit a 15 foot baseline jumper. Awesome. We saw Jordan King do that little dribble, step back, pull back shot yep. from 15, 17. Perfect. Those are those guys shots. they, Continue to hit those shots. I think that helps. Pound the ball inside the paint. Get buckets to go down. I think that's also very important. But that is going to continue to get tougher if these shots don't go. And I think if the shots can go,
0: I think that's when you're going to see the offense start to open back up. And I remain adamant that this team has what it needs. If you look at the record and you watch – if you if you didn't watch the games, you just looked at the record and say, well, they just don't have the talent. And you would be wrong. This team has the talent. What they have not had to this point is the execution. We are missing one or two critical elements of the execution. And once those elements come into the fore, you're going to see this team really start to do the things it's built to do with su- with a, a much greater degree of success that's going to turn a lot of these close games, these 61-57, these 63-60, these 61-54 uh, type games, it's going to turn them into wins. It's not that... It's really not that far away. And if we're still in the same mode by the end of the year, yeah, I might be a little frustrated with them. But I just firmly believe the execution is in there. It just has to be drawn out of this group. And that's going to happen before conference play starts.
1: I couldn't snap a lot. I don't, I don't, I don't even Well, I didn't want to that.
0: pound the table because I was just, you know, the, the tables are, the these tables have been here a while, Jay. So I don't want to just, I don't want to go full uh, Dudley boys on, on your tables.
1: Yes, please. We can't, we can't get any more.
0: No. Segway, 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 Segway. Women's basketball. You want to talk women's basketball? You know I do, big guy. Yeah. I was not expecting that. Yeah, you were. I was not expecting that. <laughs> there, not expecting that. there comes the hot... There, there, there comes, there comes the hot uh, is that a riff? What is that? Uh, I was, was going to say a lick. That's probably a lick. I, um, I know nothing about music. Yeah. Like a I, lot of I, subjects. I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm very anti. I, I would call that a lick, and that was a... Uh, that was kind of an Austin City Limits vibe, a little bit there.
1: All right. I think it was Austin City Limits. Right? But I, yeah, Austin City. Okay, let's
0: talk a little women's hoops. You were
1: there. I followed it was a, intently. It was in
0: Texas City. I'm pretty sure it was Austin City Limits.
1: So the start, you looked that up while I uh, start this. The start of the women's game.
0: I was right. Yes. Yes. Start of the women's game. Didn't go as planned. Bowling Green kind of got the jump on ETSU. Got out to a big lead. Uh, it was 14 points. Got out to 19. It was 20 right before Courtney Moore hit a an oh-by-the-way layup at the end. But Bowling Green, wire-to-wire. Wire, um, and I, I wasn't necessarily shocked that that happened. I was disappointed that it happened, obviously, because you, you know, you want to see ETSU win and ETSU's done so much and, uh, they beat Vanderbilt and made Vanderbilt play their style. This team is much more cohesive than Vanderbilt was. And I even said this, I said this to multiple people. I said, this team would boat race Vanderbilt. This Bowling Green team is the best team they played since South Carolina in the season opener. South Carolina would still beat Bowling Green by 25, but, uh, this is the best team that they played since the Gamecocks, and um, that team would probably do something similar to every team in the SoCon. They're that good. I mean, they're look at look at their their depth is incredible. Look at their depth. They have the twenty. They have the MAC Freshman of the Year coming back off a knee injury that caused her to miss her entire sophomore year. She's a redshirt sophomore. They have the 19th leading scorer in school history. Um, and I forget who the third major player was in their rotation. but um that was uh, uh help me out here. who was it? was it um uh, uh Zekin. Uh, Zekin's just like just a massive presence on the interior and she was really good at just closing off lanes and making life difficult for Jayla Rufus-Milner when she had the ball in her hands on the offensive end. And then you have Velasco who is just flying around making all sorts of plays with her hands and just being disruptive in the passing lanes and generating turnovers, generating uh, uh, steals and uh, uh, points in transition with some great long passes. It's just That team is just really well put together. And um, there is, I don't think there's a team in the SoCon that can hang with them.
1: Definitely they came in to try to stop two people, Giselle Thomas and Nevae Brown. Thomas, 5 of 16 shooting, six turnovers. She had five assists, and then Nevae Brown 0 for 6 on the day. But that, yeah, I mean, it but it's, day easy to, day. it's easy to see if you're going to try to slow down ETSU, what two players you need to key in on. Yes.
0: Um, and, and I think, I mean, if you can do things to disrupt Rufus Milner as well or anybody on the interior, uh, that's also – something that's going to help you out. I did see, I mean, there were some positive things in the game for the Bucks. Journey McDaniel continues to impress me. Uh, this As a freshman, somebody who just has a great grasp already of the mental and physical demands of college basketball and how to get yourself through a college basketball season without burning yourself out. Uh, and on top of her athleticism, her explosiveness, there were a couple different times in that game, and she's done this before, where she goes up, gets an offensive rebound, and all in the same motion. She's off the ground, puts it back up off the top of the, the box on the backboard, and just right off that white taped line on the top, right back into the basket. And uh, just, it's it's really fun to watch her play because she springs off the floor. She's got confidence in her jump shot. She can go up and get offensive rebound. I think she had... How many offensive rebounds did journey have? You got the box score right in front of you. I want to say it was like five or six at least um, because it's just piling them up. Seven. Seven offensive rebounds. She was great. Um, Malia On has, fire has grown by leaps and bounds this year. I had three main threes in the first half, getting some open looks, uh, and that's all they wanted to do is, listen, when you come off a ball screen, because this team runs a lot of screens, when you come off a screen, go to the next option, be confident in your pass, and then run to your spot. Um, Be decent on defense, and then when you're open for threes, take your threes, hit your threes. If you do that, Malia Kirtner is going to play, I think is going to be a player that's going to fight for more minutes because there are minutes out there to be had with this group, they are looking for an eighth player to potentially add to the rotation and somebody on the bench, whether it's Kirtner, Sarah Thompson, uh, they're very excited about the growth of Jalia Cotton. Maybe it's Megan Downing who missed some time with an injury in preseason, but is another player, they're excited about the potential of, and would add some size on the interior at six foot two, um, whoever it is, whoever it ends up being, uh, there's going to be an there's an opportunity there for an eighth player to emerge, and I think that's a storyline to watch as this team goes on the road to Charleston, goes to Asheville, and probably is going to come back with two wins. I still believe this group is going to win its remaining non-conference games, and we're going to be talking about a team that's what 13 and three going into SoCon play.
1: I want to ask you about this stretch because this was the again we were keeping up with it had live stats one computer between me and Kevin had the men's life stats I uh, had the computer in between had the women's life stats so we're keeping up with it they got it to 10 which I thought was impressive yes 627 to go in the third 42 or 52 42 and then ETSU got a couple of stops they needed but couldn't get over the hump to get to single digits a missed uh shot by Nave Brown missed three-pointer Sarah Thompson then Kendall Foley with a missed three Giselle Thompson after an offensive rebound with a miss, and then all of a sudden they go back down, layup, and then it started to escalate again. I felt like that stretch of about three minutes, give or take, where ETSU were getting stops, got it to 10. If they could have got it to single digits and just made Bowling Green sweat a little bit, be curious to see what would have happened. But, of course, the would have should have didn't happen. And then Bowling Green was able to stretch it very quickly from 10 to 16, 17, and it was downhill from there.
0: Yeah, and when you're playing really good defense against a really good team that's not hitting shots, like they were against Vanderbilt. When you're you're holding Vanderbilt to whatever 20% from the floor, 24% from the floor, you can afford some of those longer droughts. Uh, But Bowling Green scored – I mean, Vanderbilt scored 31 points in the game. Bowling Green scored 26 points in the first quarter. They came out with their hair on fire. They play fast. They generate a lot of shots. Um, and uh, you know that at some point, those are going to start going in. And if you're making mistakes on the other side, you're not executing, you're turning the ball over, passes out of bounds, uh, those sorts of things are just, eventually they're going to add up. And uh, you're going to be in a situation where you should be able to get yourself back in a game, but you're not able to. And that's something that this team has struggled with a little bit so far this year is playing from behind, playing from a significant margin behind, and they never quit, right? They never rolled over. They never stopped. They never stopped playing. never like, well, I guess this team's just too good for us. They kept playing. They kept believing that they had a shot to win the game, uh, but they just got themselves in too big of a hole early on, and uh, Bowling Green is again a really good team i you know i think that team has the ability to challenge toledo at the top of a loaded mid-american conference this year the mac is stacked at the top um some of the best mid-major basketball in the country uh, toledo just beat michigan at their place so that's a pretty nice win for the rockets and for the conference and uh, bowling green i think is going to be right in that mix at the end also want to apologize. In a
1: postgame show, I made a comment at Bowling Green's best uh, team each issue had played so far, and people reminded me of South Carolina. So that was – I don't know if that was a I, I I completely
0: understand, though, why you would block that game out. Cause, that, that, um,
1: I mean, A, A, I, I think
0: that's a different atmosphere. Yeah. and Well, neither of us witnessed it, but also <laughs> yeah. just because South Carolina is completely – like Women's- head, shoulders, right. knees, and toes above – the rest of college basketball.
1: Yeah, and and I think that's the thing. In men's sports, for whatever reason, there tends to be five, six, seven teams in a conversation, and when a women's team gets rocking and rolling, it seems to be one for a long time, and it's hard to knock them off. Or there's two teams, but there's not a lot. And I think, that again, in women's basketball, it drives me crazy, and I get it, but the 15 scholarships, if they could go to 13, and the trickle down would affect a lot of teams that would be able to Compete And that's neither here nor there. But you see 13 scholarships, what it does in the men's game, and I know Title Nine, but you could figure out how to give more scholarships in other sports so that the women's basketball game I think would be way better because if you took power fives and took two off each power five and trickled those down – to all the mid-majors and everything else just how much better now yes there be less women's basketball scholarships but you could easily add a few more to soccer or volleyball or any other sport pick any other women's sport that doesn't have full scholarships and every player's on a full ride and I think you could grow those games as well by giving more of those ladies opportunities that being said I still think it holds women's basketball down some because the haves and have-nots are so much greater and so South Carolina eating up a couple extra scholarships on that team that's already in Connecticut and some of the other ones are just crushing teams. And so, yes, I did have a Freudian slip. I did not mean to uh, forget South Carolina because clearly they're the best team in all of women's college basketball. So, yes, they would beat Bowling Green, I believe so, uh, by maybe 40 instead of 70. But that being said – Non conference, a peer mid major team. That was by far the best mid major team. Yes. Uh, including the Mercer Bears that ETSU will see uh, on the conference schedule. But I am inclined to circle back after I made that mistake to uh, comment on the Charleston Southern, UNCA, those two road games. You feel like ETSU is going to be favored in that long I home definitely be feel
0: like those are games that they, they should expect. To go on the road.
1: Ahead. I know nothing about Mount Saint Mary, but having ETSU play in Cherokee, North Carolina, not that far away, probably would be uh, favored in that one. And of course, obviously, a non-D1 in Converse college on yep. New Year's, and then you start with a very tough conference slate to find out what ETSU, I, excuse me, I think is made of because Chattanooga, new coach, much improved as well. Yep, not the Chattanooga of old, but still much improved. You're going to start with a rivalry game at home and a couple more key home games. The league favorite, Mercer, a team that's been in the tournament in the last couple of years in the Sanford Bulldogs. I think depending on how they start those three home games, won't dictate how the whole conference season goes, but certainly you'll learn a lot about ETSU and where they are because if they could pick off two of the three or all of the three, now you're talking about a contender uh, for the Sun Conference Championship regular season title. And if they go 1-2 and two or 0-3, oh still got some work to do. I don't foresee that being the case, but still, something to keep an eye out for.
0: I'm just over here quietly singing Head, Shoulders, Knees, and Toes. Again. <laughs> guess we're going to talk about football, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I joined the glam rock band there for a second. Rock band, you up, no, that, that was a show, Austin City Limits, a show uh, where rock bands come and play. It's like the Opry for hipsters.
1: Oh, see? Yeah, you know. Yeah. It's, uh, Learn something every day with Keith that I don't know. Good. I learned a lot glad. of stuff with
0: Gallagher. I learned a lot of stuff with everybody. I'm gl- I'm, glad I'm glad you're still learning. I'm glad you're still learning.
1: All right, let's talk – where do you want to start? So we can talk a little FCS playoffs real quick. We can talk – again, if you're just tuning in, just because we have football listed here on the time queue and you just fast-forward to that Wednesday show, we're going to talk to John Roberts. He used to work at the Atlantic Sun Conference. He's going to walk us through the decisions to go to FCS. He was certainly there when they were talking about FBS. He's going to walk us through all of that. And then we're also going to talk to Dr. Richard Sander inside the Dome. A lot of people been asking questions. Well, why not us? So we're gonna ask him. Why not us? And we'll see. I mean, I'd ask it that way, but we'll see. Uh, I'll ask questions that people have sent in, and we will see Wednesday what his response uh, is. So you get both sides of it. We're just not one podcast. that slants ETSU all the way. Now
0: we'll say. Um, now we'll talk about the wax sun first. Let's talk about this first, okay? Um, and then we'll talk about the playoffs where um, William and Mary is exactly who I thought they were. By the way, I just want to take a victory lap on on the CAA. Not having any teams in the semifinals after uh, the uh, uh, committee chair called them the strongest conference in the country, which was a complete nonsense statement. Um, <clears throat> yes. Anyway, uh, the Wax Sun. So um, I kind of lost my train of thought. But uh, so I, I think it's, let me put it this way if the Wax Sun pulls this off, I think it's fair for people to look around and ask, well, if they are doing it, why aren't we doing it? And I think those conversations would happen in the SOCON and would happen collectively. It wouldn't be an individual school. It would happen collectively as a conference. Like, well, if they can move up as a conference, why can't we move up as a conference? Because there is obviously a precedent set there. If the Valley looks at that and says, well, that's a single-sport conference that just moved up, the Missouri Valley Football Conference is a single-sport conference. Let's move to FBS. The Big Sky, why can't we reclassify our football championship to FBS? Um, And I think that's part of why it won't happen, is because if you allow an FCS conference to reclassify wholesale, or whole hog, I guess, would not be wholesale, whole hog, You allow the whole thing to reclassify. You want them to well, not not even reclassify necessarily. You want them to create a new conference that is a vehicle for them to reclassify to FBS. I suppose those sorts of technicalities matter. Uh, But the uh, the Pete Thamel report I thought was very interesting on this. Um, Sources with I'm going to read directly from the report here. Quote. Sources with knowledge of agreement, agreement, of disagreement, agreement, are optimistic of a pathway, meaning a pathway to FBS. Uh, quote from a source, we feel very confident in talking to NCAA officials that they'd support this. There's no grounds for them to stand on to deny it. End quote. Thamel continues, one obstacle is that current NCAA legislation doesn't contemplate the scenario of a new FBS league being formed. End quote. Jay, have you ever seen Airbud? Yes. There ain't no rule says a dog can't play basketball. That is the driving ethos of this move. There is no rule that says we can't.
1: But I thought, and I could be incorrect, that they... Didn't want any single-sport conferences There is a moratorium
0: on single-sport conferences at this time. So how does that... So, But that is a topic that's being discussed by the NCAA Transformation Committee. Because, as you know, the government structure of college sports is being radically overhauled from the ground up right now. So they're hoping to take advantage of the chaos to sneak up to the next level of college football. And by extension, college football playoff money. Um, Possibly a reduced share, at least to start. Uh, They would also negotiate a TV contract that's probably in the hundreds of thousands of dollars per year per school, which in the scheme of FBS TV contracts is not that much money, but it's a lot of money for those schools. It's a lot more than they're getting right now. Um, There is confidence from Pete Thamel and from our friend Matt Brown of Extra Points, who's been on the pod recently talking about Kennesaw State. Um, there is confidence that this new league could secure bowl tie-ins. So, if they do pull it off, uh, there is a possibility that it blows the lid off of um, FCS. Like, it destroys FCS. Because if they create a pathway to the next level, then all of the best conferences in FCS are just going to try to follow that pathway to the next level and become FBS schools because that's really the reason that they're here. But if Utah if Southern Utah, which does not have the budget for FBS football, I, I mean no disrespect to the folks in Cedar City, but they do not have the budget, they do not have the facilities and aren't close for FBS football. Um if Tarleton State, which does have the money, I think or at least is willing to front the money from the institution to make that move, but isn't ready yet. Um, If Austin P is making that move, then there are going to be a lot of schools around the country that look at Well, the financial constraints of going to FBS obviously are not as profound as we thought, and they're going to make that move. And what you end up happening or having happen is you create a situation where um, all those big FCS conferences start moving toward reclassification. And I don't even think that it's like I I think that the the existing FBS structure is going to fight this tooth and nail. They're going to try to write it into the constitution that there are, you cannot have a single sport conference in FBS, that there are specific criteria uh, because those rules haven't been written yet. Um and as it stands right now, and I know you're looking at the attendance requirement, don't don't. It's not enforced. No one cares. On like I've I've asked people about it. Like it just no one cares about the attendance thing. You're supposed to have like an, a stadium capacity of fifteen thousand or average fifteen thousand games. Average fifteen thousand every other year, which it is, is why
1: Middle Tennessee used to do the one concert that was free after the game and they could get to 30,000 that would help uh include in the football tennis.
0: They stopped enforcing that and that's why the Mac plays games on Tuesdays in front of five hundred people. Like there, there are there are legitimately games where they draw like four figure crowds for college football. They don't pack the stadiums anymore because if they had to to stay in FBS, then they would just have to move those games to Saturdays when people could actually go to the games, travel to the games. Um, so that's part of why I mean the Mac plays on Tuesdays and the you know, the American plays on Thursdays and all those other games that they're played during the week. Um, because you don't have to worry about the attendance numbers for them. So uh, that, that rule is not enforced. Don't worry about it. Uh, it I mean, Kennesaw is not going to be able to get to 15,000. Kennesaw can barely get to 10,000 a lot of days. Some days, I think Kennesaw... There was, there was a playoff game. Um, I can't remember who it was they hosted. It might have been South Dakota State, where I thought they were lucky to get to 1,500. So, you know, there there are... That rule is extremely poorly enforced. Um, If this happens, the precedent it sets is, I won't say catastrophic, but it is cataclysmic. It is a massive change. It is an event horizon beyond which it's truly difficult to see. But it's difficult for me to envision a world where North Dakota State and Montana and Delaware look at The look at the WAC Sun reclassifying and say, well, if you let them do it, why aren't you letting our conferences do it? Our conference should go do it. And there will be people in those leagues that are receptive to that idea going, yeah, yeah, rabble, 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 rabble. I think this is very unlikely to happen. I think it is great press for the WAC and the A-Sun as they try to recruit new members to keep their football championships from falling apart. But I think that's really all this ends up being. Is press.
1: guess the other question is, is there any requirements on press box? I don't believe so. That's what I was trying to look up to. I knew there was an attendance one. I knew there was press box. Because that actually what cost, was it, Oh, was it UConn a few years ago?
0: And that's when they dropped down and went back up. I can't remember. Uh, UMass. UMass. Was it UMass? UMass. It was UMass. Uh, no, it was, uh, was it. was it? Somebody. So Idaho dropped down a few years ago. Um, Austin P. dropped scholarships and almost dropped football entirely and then brought them back by popular demand. UMass, I believe moved up relatively recently, but their, their stadium was undergoing renovation. So they had to play at Gillette stadium instead of at McGurk on campus in, in Amherst. That might've been what it was, is they had to invest in some significant facility upgrades. That might be what you remember, but, uh, regardless I don't think there are nec- there are any criteria there, but it's also something that's a matter of the optics of it. You want a good TV product, you want people to come to uh, you know, like you want television providers to come to your games and cover your games. You need good media amenities. For them to do that in addition to wanting suites for the donors that bankroll the whole process and also just a general good fan experience and a good student experience and you want all of those things and um, all of those things matter an order of magnitude more at the FBS level than they do at the FCS level where you get a little bit more leeway. the Things are a little bit more forgiving where if you don't have something, you get more time to get it. If you don't have something at that level, you are the main character on college football Twitter until you get it fixed. And that's not what anybody wants to be. Certainly, I don't think anybody at that level wants to be that. Like I said,
1: we've got John Roberts. He
0: was very uh, much uh,
1: involved in getting the FCS football going. And no longer with the conference, uh, and so I uh, feel like he can speak a little freely on it. Now there's some stuff, I'm sure, non-disclosure on some specific school stuff, but I think generalities of why they went FCS and why they were talking FBS, he can handle that. We've got Dr. Richard Sander on next Wednesday. We will talk to him, uh, or this Wednesday, not next Wednesday, this Wednesday coming up. We'll talk to him about ETSU and their side of it. So we'll talk to John, get his thoughts. We'll talk to Dr. Sander get his thoughts any playoff thoughts before we wrap up today's show besides the, you're patting yourself on the back on the fraud
0: uh yes on William and Mary yeah they they got crushed um Sanford put up a fight had an unbelievable season um the fact that they ran into yeah I'm a mad fantastic about that North was, Coast state can, team can we talk about that or not sure I'm yeah, mad yeah, if you want to
1: if Michael hires is good enough to play in the second half why is he not good enough to start the game
0: uh why did you kick a field goal down three scores with 10 minutes left
1: because he didn't want to get shut out. That's a different subject. I want to know I, if yeah. Michael Hires was good enough to play in the second half. Why wasn't he good enough to start?
0: But those things feed back into the same point, which is give yourself the best possible chance to win the game. and Again, that's game I've always
1: decision. stated that Chris Hatcher was not interested in winning. He was interested in numbers. This year he proved to be interested in winning. That's what's confusing to me. And I realize Crittenden had a couple of carries and overtime walk-offs, and, he's retro, and that's all great and dandy. Michael Hires, once he got a couple of series in there and got up to speed, I think was fine throwing the football. I think he would have been more successful early. if He got in early. And I think early in the game they had success going up-tempo and getting some things on North Dakota State. Then North Dakota State made some adjustments, got some three and outs where they can't go up-tempo, and then they made the change. I think if Hires could have started early, I'm not saying they win the game. I'm just saying they had a better shot with Michael Hires as the quarterback early in the game to get up to speed, make some pass, make some throws, make some adjustments, things that he's seen before, that was able to maybe get a couple of those scores early when they had an advantage against North Dakota State where North Dakota State had made some uncharacteristic mistakes and that ET uh, was ETSU? I wish, Sanford would have been able to get some points on the board and it would have been a little more interesting down the stretch as opposed to they got a late score here and there and it, and it didn't matter
0: maybe, but you saw what happened on that field goal drive where Sanford was moving the ball down the field. Hires was getting his little short passes, you know, his little five yard routes to Chandler Smith and all of this, that and the other that pad all the stats. Um, and then when they got into the red zone it, and it got harder to spread out the defense, the same North Dakota state was playing the same coverage. They were playing the same zone coverage, dropping seven and bringing four and suddenly Hires couldn't get the ball out and he got sacked twice first down and third down I think it was he got sacked and they had to settle for the field goal which they shouldn't have done right but but they were also down 24 and it's a little easier to play a certain way at 24 than 0-0 but that's what I mean is I think North Dakota State probably could have done the same thing it's more difficult to spread out defenses when you get deeper into the into their end of the field and North Dakota State's the most athletic defense that Sanford had faced against an FCS opponent all year obviously they played Georgia but you know, they the against an FCS opponent, they did not face a more athletic, more versatile defense than what you face when you go to the Fargo Dome. And not arguing. I'm arguing momentum and everything early in the game when it was all going one way,
1: and Sanford was at a high confident wise, I think it's different. When you're down 24 and guys are pinning their ears back and doing some other things, and you've already been beaten several times by that defensive line, early Sanford had success moving the football. And I think Hires would have been more successful than Crittenden and I think they could have got more points on the board. I'm not arguing they went. I it, it don't uh, nobody hear this and think, "Oh my gosh." Jay thinks they could have scored two early touchdowns in the game. No, I'm not even saying they scored t- – I'm just saying they had a better shot to stay in the game longer and had a better shot to do some stuff offensively. If nothing else, I think they could have kept more drives alive and played keep away like they did early against North Dakota State with those little dink and dunks. And then maybe they don't get points on the board. But they pick up two, three extra first downs. That takes away six extra minutes of North Dakota State running the football on them. That's sort of my point of the thing. I don't know – even if they get in the end zone, but I think, okay, they get three field goals. They get nine points. You're able to, you know, it's nine, whatever, seven halftime. Also, what in the world is a flag being thrown on the Hail Mary there at the end of the first half that led to three extra points for North Dakota State? And I, there's always the conspiracy of Alabama gets every call, blah, blah, blah. There's always conspiracy. North Dakota State gets every call, blah, blah, blah. And I've heard that time and time again. Good Jay, Jay, players you, make good plays. I don't buy
0: into any of that. You've, you've seen enough mistakes at this point to know that you should never attribute to malice what can be attributed to human error.
1: I yes. Totally agree. I'm just confused on a and I again, seven nothing halftime is different than ten nothing. It's all relative to everything. Mm -hmm. I don't know why in the world that was a flak throw. That being said, I didn't feel like watching the game there was an egregious calls that went North Dakota State's way like some folks thought there were. I watched the game just watching the game and felt like, eh, that seemed like a penalty there. Yep. <laughs> and let's be honest, in playoff football, just like there is in NFL, just like there is in the college football playoff you'll see, just like there is FC, there's less flags. Mm-hmm. The holdings aren't going to be called as much. Yep. There's not going to be as many defensive pass interference Absolutely. calls. And hold- They want players to decide the game. And North Dakota State still has the better players in most, if not still – flat out in all of FCS, so they're going to win more of those battles. I was frustrated once Michael Hyers got in the game because I thought they had a chance to play keep-away like they did in the first quarter. And then the three and out started to happen. And, yes, I think North Dakota State would eventually figure it out, Michael Hyers at some point or whatever, but I still think he was the best chance for them to win the game. And I don't understand if he was good enough in the second half. And maybe there's something to the story. I don't know. Maybe hire said he couldn't go, and then magically at halftime, hey, I can go. I don't know. I wasn't there. I don't. But I, I've always argued Chris Hatcher has baffled me on trying to win games, and that baffled me just like when Keith texts me, "Why are you kicking a field goal? Because it's a three score game. Score a touchdown, go for two. It's two score game. Yes, you kick a field goal. Guess what? It's still a so three score game, game. And you get, a,
0: yeah, you're so, just waving a big,
1: big old white flag on the sideline. Don't do that. That said to me, well, you, t- you didn't get shut out last year. I don't want to be shut out last year.
0: Uh, Overall, this year was a step forward for the SoCon. I think if Chattanooga doesn't step on on a rake the last week of the season, the SoCon gets three teams in, and there's a decent chance that all three of them win a first-round game. And that would show really well for the committee. And Furman should have beaten Incarnate Word. Yes. And didn't. And Lindsey Scott Jr. is phenomenal, but... And, I just, and they would have gave... The, I don't know that they would have beat
1: Sacramento State, but it would have been just as good of a game as Incarnate Ward put up. That was Yeah, that game was nuts.
0: That game with Detroit, Taylor's going to Stanford. Man. There's been some good F- FCS coaches. That's moving. an aggressive hire from Stanford. I, I mean, I like it because they're in a situation where you kind of need to be aggressive. You kind of need to make an aggressive hire because you're fading a little bit. You got to go swing for something. And... Um, Taking a guy that's had a a success with an offense that is very multiple right they do a lot of different things a lot of different personnel packages you know you you need that I still thought it was a little bit aggressive same thing with Colorado hiring Dion but that's the only job or the only kind of job that Dion would have taken to leave Jackson State so I get it two FCS coaches straight to power fives I was in Fargo when Kansas State hired Chris Kleiman and saw the K-State reaction to hiring the best coach in FCS. And people wanted Gene Taylor's head on a platter for it. And now Kansas State's Big 12 champions, you know, all that. So um, it obviously worked out pretty well. I think there's a lot of coaching talent at this level that doesn't get its due. And uh, hopefully Troy Taylor and Deion Sanders are part of that. Yeah, I need more Dion. Mm-hmm. We he's, love it. Dion. If, if nothing else, he's entertaining, chaotic. Which is yes. why I love Dion. He, but he's very—he's never dull. He is never ever dull. Montana State. Um, speaking of which, I, I'm starting. To, I'm I'm getting a little nervous. If for for South Dakota State, the number one overall seed. I'll, I thought Montana State maybe got a little bit of a raw deal as the four, uh, but man, what a, what a what a team. That's going to be a whale of a ball game. And I believe that game is the Saturday afternoon game. And then Fargo is the Friday night game, North Coast State Incarnate Word. I don't remember off the top of my head. I might have it backwards.
1: Give me one second. I will but double check that for you.
0: Montana State's just run, just firing on all cylinders right now. They're healthy, which they weren't last year, going through the playoffs. Um, Malat's got an entire other season under his belt. It's just that is... Whew. That's going to be a tough matchup for the Jackrabbits, even at home on uh, on Saturday because that Montana State team is just as used to the cold as they are.
1: Yeah, and current word is at North Dakota State Friday at 7 ESPN2, Montana State, South Dakota State, 4 p.m. ESPN2. So those are the matchups. And if you like Celebration Bowl, it's going on at noon without Neon, Deon, Primetime, Sanders, Primetime, Jackson Man. State, North Carolina Central.
0: Without Dion, I I don't know, man. I just feel like that North Carolina Central's good. I know the 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 Eggheads have a certain number for Jackson State. I just don't know. I mean, last year we all thought Jackson State was was that team going into the celebration bowl. It's like, oh, they're not gonna have any problem with South Carolina State. They're not gonna do this that. And South you know, one team showed up, and the other team didn't, and the team showed up was South Carolina State. I. Uh, I don't put anything past NC Central. That's a really good program. That's a good bunch. I absolutely give them a chance, better than a puncher's chance of winning that game. All right, one last thing. I don't know if you saw the news. Uh, Navy uh, got
1: rid of their head coach, and Brian Bohanan's name has uh, jumped up on the uh-huh. list from Kennesaw State. And for the Kennesaw State fans that were getting a little tired of him, it would be a perfect time for him to move on. Take that job if, in fact, and, of course, he's from the coaching tree of Paul Johnson, so if they want to continue sort of that triple option legacy there. But uh, I would be remiss if I didn't yell a big suck it to Don Hellman as Army beat Navy. (laughs) And uh, it was unbelievable. And I will say this. If you don't see anything, it was the first overtime game, but only tune into overtime because it was a typical Army-Navy, 3 not even a three-yard cloud of dust, one-yard cloud of dust and some punting and not a lot of offense, and then all of a sudden in overtime. matter of fact, Army's only touchdown of the game was a blocked punt where Mm -hmm. I got it a high-wire act to keep the ball in bounds in the back of the end zone and then got a field goal late after they finally – Greenville High School native, graduate – Cade Mm -hmm. Ballard actually completed a couple passes and got a pass interference call. They got a field goal, 10-10. But the first play of overtime, Army goes 25 yards for a touchdown. They haven't gotten more than eight on a rush play like the whole day. (laughs) And then Navy completes his first pass on the first play. So no offense in that game whatsoever, and all of a sudden both teams can go 25 yards like it's nothing. And then Navy, and you hate to see it because being an Army guy, I was on the end of Trent Strillman's fumble that led to the 99-yard touchdown in the Army-Navy game late in the yep. fourth quarter would have put him up. So having a Navy guy fumble at the one-yard line somehow is poetic justice in Army-Navy game, but to see that young man kind of laying there just refusing to get off the ground with his teammates was kind of brutal to watch, but mm. Army able to kick the field goal and uh, pick up the
0: win in the 103rd Classic. Yeah, and they've won what, five of the last seven? That's what I'm talking about.
1: Yeah. That'll cost you a job at Navy, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I hate yes. that. All
0: and right. Kason goes rolling along. Right? Overhill and Overdale. Uh, thoughts and prayers, by the way, to uh, Mike Leach and his family. Mike is in critical condition at the uh, University of Mississippi Medical Center in Jackson, according to a statement by Mississippi State University. Uh, that's all the information they have at this time. Certainly hope for the best for one of the uh, most eccentric and entertaining characters in college football.
1: And certainly a quote
0: machine that we love. And he's a pirate by nature, which makes him a de
1: facto buck somehow. I don't know how that works. but <laughs> Sounds like that should help me. All right, Wednesday we're going to talk FCS, FBS, who's moving, who's not, how does it work. John Roberts, former the A-Sun, will talk to us about the A-Sun WAC or the WAC-Sun, and we'll talk to Dr. Rich Sander about ETSU. And uh, if there's anything else, maybe uh, if we don't get enough of say-whats out of them, maybe we'll do a say watt as well. That being said, Wednesday, a lot of football talk on Jay and Keith.
0: That's whack, son! Oh, you gotta be kidding me!